0: This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet
1: Radio Network. Okay, don't forget tonight, a couple of big games across the network on Sportsnet East, West, and Pacific, starting at 7 o'clock Eastern. The Detroit Red Wings facing off against the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Eiserman Bowl. Uh, And then tonight on Sportsnet Ontario at 8.30 Eastern, pregame at 8 o'clock, the Maple Leafs face off against the Dallas Stars. Also, the Winnipeg Jets facing off against the Florida Panthers. Why is that intriguing? Well, A, the Winnipeg Jets are a hot, hot, hot team to kick off the season. And also, it's a return of Paul Maurice uh, to Winnipeg. Winnipeg, nine seasons behind the bench for the Jets. Uh, Joining me now, Ken Weeb from Sportsnet for comments on tonight's ongoing. Uh, Kenny, how are you, pal? Thanks so much for doing this.
2: Yes, uh, Jeff, great to be with you. I'm doing excellent. Thanks for asking. I uh, do you think it does. I know I have seen Paul Maurice roll, uh, roll through here before, but it looks a little bit weird seeing him in the Florida Panthers tracksuit, I have to say. It is very odd.
1: Well, you know, I can uh, I can imagine yesterday uh, as the Vegas Golden Knights were in Boston. You know, Bruce Cassidy's you know routine for going in the rink is more than a little bit different. Uh, going on to a different bench, having a different feel. You know, you you wonder about because like you when you're when you are somewhere for so long, you know your your footprints kind of get like a well-worn groove to them. Like you follow the same path to go to get a coffee, to go to the ring, like to get to the ice to to get to whatever, you know, room you need to go to, to ever go see someone. Um, what do you think it's going to be like for Paul? And I want to get to, like, what type of reception do you think he's going to get tonight from the, from the Winnipeg Jets? But knowing, you know, how... Knowing how dedicated he was to the city of Winnipeg and to the Jets, what you, and knowing what you know about Maurice, what do you think it's going to be like for him today slash tonight? Emotional,
2: uh, Jeff, for sure. Uh, it's just you know, just over a year since he decided to step away from the organization, you know, saying they needed a new voice. Uh, Paul kind of helped this organization grow up in a lot of ways. He was behind the bench for the greatest successes, yeah. but he was also behind the bench for some of the bigger disappointments. So, you know, in terms of the, after getting to the conference final, losing in that first round of the St. Louis Blues, uh, I think there was a lot of, you know, kind of that whole unfinished business, uh, uh, a little bit of that, yeah. too. Uh, this is a place that you was know, very important, not just to Paul, but to his entire family. They built a home here. Uh, they spent the majority of the off-seasons here outside of the time they spent at Lake of the Woods. So uh, he really you know, engulfed himself in the community. Loved this place. Uh, you know, I think he expected this to potentially be his last NHL job, uh, but obviously circumstances mm. kind of changed uh, in the summertime. Uh, but I think it's going to be emotional for him. I don't know if he's going to... Be as emotional before the game as he may be after the game, after he hears the reception and things of that nature. But uh, let's not get ourselves, this is not just a uh, whole hum Jets Panthers uh, early December matchup. Uh, there'll be a lot of uh, emotional tones to it. Much like you said, I loved how yeah. uh, Bruce had the reaction yesterday. You know, even Rick Bonus, uh, there was a touch of the heart uh, during his reception in Dallas recently. So I know everyone will say the yep. things that's about our team and everything else but uh, there will be an emotional component uh, attached to this one for sure as there as there should be like I said I think that uh, you know Blake Wheeler just said it Paul helped this organization take the next step uh, in the 2.0 version uh, you know in terms of not just you yeah. know franchise record for points and everything but uh, helping them reach the conference final and and helping them kind of go up and and set a higher standard for accountability in terms of expectations
1: so what what then do you think the reception is going to be? I know it wasn't the um listen, this wasn't the cleanest departure uh of a head coach and it caught people very much by surprise. This one came out of left field with, you know, uh with Paul Maurice's announcement. Um What did Jets fans do with that tonight? Like, Jets fans, like, this is like this is a sophisticated hockey market. Like, these people understand dynamics, and, like, these aren't new hockey fans, essentially, is what I'm saying. What do they do with the return of Paul Maurice?
2: I think the major I think it'll be a mixed reaction. I think there will be some folks that were hurt. Uh, and on the emotional side, there, I think there may be a smattering of booze, but I think the overriding emotion will be one of uh, gratitude, uh, of thankfulness, and I think there'll be a very warm reception. Like I said, I mean, it's it's kind of, for the most part, it's a welcoming bunch. I mean, even Nathan Beaulieu the other day got a nice warm reception in the for the first time yeah. as a member of the Anaheim Ducks. So uh, I expect there to be, I would expect it to be a standing ovation. Having said that, I do think there will be some people that won't be afraid to express a little bit of displeasure uh, and maybe disappointment in how things ended. Uh, having said that, like I said, I think the... Uh, I also could say this too, Jeff. I think because the Jets have uh, sort of put that kind of piece of the history, uh, legacy portion behind them, and that they've gotten off to a good start, it'll be yeah. a little bit easier for them to be welcoming, uh, just because of the impact mm-hmm. that Rick Bonus has had here. Uh, if the Jets were struggling below the line, or if they were even in a position where, like the Panthers, where they're battling for a playoff spot, it might not have been as 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 warm. But I think that. In a lot of ways, the Jets know that Paul Maurice gave them uh, everything that he had. And, you know, now they've kind of all turned the page and, and are excited about how that page has been turned. So, uh, to me, I think it'll be a warm reception. But I, I do think there will be some uh, some folks won't be able to let it go, Jeff. And I think that, that goes back to your point about uh, this. Is, <laughs> well, I'm not sure if that goes to the f- sophisticated side or the or the other or the other side but uh i I do think there will be a little bit of that but for the most part i think like i said i think it'll be a warm reception and and rightfully so but at the same time uh both sides have kind of moved on and i think that uh there'll be a recognition and then there'll be time to play the game and and then afterward will be for the emotion and and then everyone will kind of go on with their with their day and their life i guess
1: You know, I kind of felt... I'm I'm glad you you phrased it that way, Kenny, because I kind of felt that way watching the Boston-Vegas game yesterday with Bruce Cassidy. Like, I I wonder if... I wonder if the reception would have been different if the Bruins were like five and fifteen instead of undefeated at home. And everybody's in a good mood, you know, going into it. So I would imagine that going into tonight's game, look, man, the Winnipeg Jets are one of the, you know, one of the one of the top teams in the West, certainly one of the top teams in the in the central division. And that's got everybody in a good mood. So the return of Paul Maurice, maybe if you had some misgivings, maybe if you're upset maybe that's maybe those those hard corners have been rounded a little bit because your team is playing so well. Let me let me ask you before we get to this this Jets team. How did you see Paul Maurice's time in Winnipeg? And were there a couple of players that you can point at specifically and say that coach was great for that player?
2: Oh, well, I mean I, I see Paul's time as, you know, massive impact. Uh, he had a great impact. Uh, they, they changed how they were viewed around the league. Uh, I think that he brought you know, some structure and uh, credibility is not the right word. Cause again, I think it's called, you know, I was a really smart guy and just circumstances didn't really treat his tenure all that well uh, in terms of maybe personnel that he had at his disposal. But uh, you know, Paul did a great job and you know, again, I don't think the things are necessarily all that great at the end for Mark, frankly, and Paul Maurice, but uh, Paul had a big impact on Mark uh, becoming a, a high, high end player for the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, obviously Mark is you know, flourishing now again under Rick Bonus, and, you know, all the things he said have been great about wanting to be coached and, and being pushed and all those things. But, uh, you know, Josh Morrissey yeah. too had a real, you know, I think Paul had a big impact on Josh Morrissey, breaking into the league too, putting him with Justin Bufflin and then having him go on the shutdown, pairing with Jacob Truba, uh, things of that nature. So uh, a lot of benefits for sure. Uh, again, Paul made some mistakes uh, at times, of course, all coaches do. Uh, you can't coach that long in one place without having, uh, you know, some things on the other side of the ledger in terms of usage and and whatever else. There was always a debate about Nikolai Ehlers in his lifetime, but I mean, Paul did a great yeah. job for this organization and, and, and deserves to be, you know, celebrated here. Uh, and at the same time, uh, you know, because of the standards that Paul set here, the Jets fans are also within their right to be asking for more and. And that's what they've sort of felt like they've been able to do coming out of the gate here. But I always think it's important to, you know, kind of recognize the people that came before you. And I expect that to be a big part of this evening's uh, affairs here.
1: So what do you think then? And by the way, it sounds like you're right on the ice. What position are you playing today, Kenny? I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> there was a couple of times during the, the tenure there where I was not next man up, but there were, the joke was made uh uh, about maybe being uh, on on one of those long road trips, so you couldn't get anybody in from St. John's. But uh, I apologize. The the, I, the iPods Pro are coming in a little hot, and Paul might be starting his, uh, his, his session shortly here. So no problem. I'll try to go to a no quieter problem.
1: place. Um- no, 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 I'm just joking. Hey, listen, um, what, what to you has been the big story of the Winnipeg Jets? Like you mentioned Josh Morrissey, he's having a heck of a season. Connor Halibuck having a tremendous season as well. You know, the emergence of someone like Cole Perfetti, such a highly skilled player, he's having a tremendous season. Mark Scheidt, like go right down the list. What has been the story from an individual point of view for you in the Winnipeg Jets?
2: Yeah, it goes back to Shifley for me, Jeff. I know that you guys talked about it a lot in the offseason, and so did you and I and, and Elliot. Uh, you know, just the way that things ended on the, the you know the, the season-ending presser on May 1st, uh, there were a lot of eyes in that conversation. Uh, but Rick Bonus uh, was quick to say it when he was hired. He saw and he heard a guy that wanted to win. Uh, Mark has put in the work uh, to become a better 200-foot player. Of course, there's still work that needs to be done on the defensive side, but uh, he's done a nice job of, you know, Playing at a very high level offensively, while not sacrificing defensively, or I should say it the other way, he's done a nice job of working on the other side of his game without sacrificing a whole lot of offense. And uh, to me, Mark's ability to kind of come out of the gate and, and show that he's willing to be coached and to be a tenner foot player uh, is one of the biggest stories. Obviously, Connor Hellbuck, I expected him to be in that dozen discussion, and he has been. And there too, yeah. Pierre-Luc Dubois, a lot, a lot of noise about him coming out of the gate uh, with the, you know, the the flirtations. Uh, of Pat Prasan and the Montreal Canadiens, whether that was just uh, a <laughs> negotiating tactic or however way we want to describe it. Uh, Dubois obviously showing that he was engaged and ready to play this season. He's been a point a game player among uh, the league leaders and you know, penalties drawn. But, too, I mean, again, yeah, I didn't do a very good job here. I, you told me to get down to one, and I've mentioned four now, and I, and I haven't even mentioned Josh uh, <laughs> Morrissey's Nor- Norris candidacy. So uh, I, I would say, sorry, and after all of that rambling, Jeffy, the biggest story to me is that the Jets have had Nikolai Ealers at their disposal for all of two games this year, and Kyle Connor, even though yeah. he's put up a ton of points, he hasn't gotten off to his sniping start that we were expecting. Uh, but again, when when you're when you're slow start in quotations is being a point of game player, it uh, tells you that we'll good a player, I'll get a player you are. But the fact that the, Ehlers, the Jets haven't had Ealers and they're still in contention for first in the Central uh, is probably the biggest story to me.
1: Yeah. Excellent. Uh, listen, we'll let you get back to it. I know there's uh, a lot of stuff to do still, uh, in advance of this one, going to be a big night. Uh, the return of Paul Maurice to Winnipeg as the Florida Panthers face off against the jets. Kenny, you're the best. Thanks as always for doing this, pal. Pleasure to be with
2: you. Have a great day, my man. Thanks again.
1: There he is. Can we, uh, covering the Winnipeg jets, the return of Paul Maurice, the Florida Panthers facing off against, uh, the jets who are one of the more surprising, I mean, every year, right? Every year, and I was one of the guys that stuck his hand up and said going into last season that the Winnipeg Jets would be the best team in Canada. Oops! Um, not so fast. And we all expected the offseason to bring with it changes. And it did, just not the changes that we thought. You know, there was a stripping of a captaincy. There was a hiring of a new coach. Um, and that was pretty much it. And now I think we're all wondering what Kevin Cheveldeoff's next move Uh, is going to be here with the Winnipeg Jets because, you know, much like a team like the, uh, I guess the Los Angeles Kings have a lot of defensemen, Uh, at last check, I think the Winnipeg has got about a million defensemen back there they can choose from. So you wonder at what point something ends up giving uh, but nonetheless, this Winnipeg Jets team um, has been one of the nicer surprise stories uh, around the NHL. Certainly New Jersey and the East have been a huge story for all those obvious reasons that we would talk about on almost a daily basis here as they were going on the 13-game winning streak. Uh, Winnipeg's done a great job. Uh, speaking of those Devils, they're in action tonight against the Chicago Blackhawks. Is a pretty busy, it's a pretty busy night around the NHL. This Tuesday is a heavy one. The Pittsburgh Penguins, and again, like I mentioned with Elliot uh, to kick off the show, if, if you missed it or haven't seen the visuals online yet, Chris Latang's already skating. You know, this time, around this time last week, you know, we were reporting about how he had a, a stroke on Monday. Uh, it's his second one. You got to go back to 214 for the first. Not sure what the long term ramifications were going to be. We weren't sure what the short term ramifications were going to be. Um, as Elliot reported, he did want to play the next day because that's Chris Latang. Uh, letang back on the ice for the pittsburgh penguins today to the surprise of no one i think i mentioned this a couple of days ago here on this show the best way that it was described to me the best way that chris letang was described to me is he's he's a hockey player but he has a ufc fighter mentality he trains like he's a ufc fighter and he competes like he's a ufc fighter and you know what? To me that's one of the highest compliments you can pay a player. Like I always thought like the the ultimate compliment you can pay a hockey player is this person could play in any era. Pick it going back to the beginnings of the NHL in 1917 pick an era and if your player can play in any of those eras that's a real compliment. But Sandy competes like a UFC fighter. That's high praise. That's Chris Latang. Penguins in action tonight against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, Jason Buchla is going to join me in a couple of moments. Uh, also, we're going to talk to Thomas Strantz about what that was last night in Vancouver. 7-6 against the Montreal Canadiens. What was that? Hour 2 is on the horizon. Keep it here.
0: The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real and born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the
0: Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: Okay, so welcome inside once again. Welcome to hour two of the program. Glad to have you aboard. Want to thank uh, both Elliot Friedman and Ken Weeb for stopping by in hour one. Plenty to get to still. Bottom of the hour, Thomas Strantz from the uh, from Canucks Talk and the Athletic. will talk to us about what it was that we saw last night between Vancouver and Montreal. First of all, an exciting game. Uh, Second of all, the theme of the season played itself right through that game, which was no lead is sacred. Uh, So we'll look forward to that coming up at the bottom of the hour. Meantime, Jason Bukala from Sportsnet, former Florida Panthers director of amateur scouting, joins me now. Jason, how are you today, pal? I'm
0: outstanding. How are you, Jeff?
1: uh so i'm good man thanks books where you been lately you're uh you're a guy that's always out on the road you know you don't want their roots to get too deep at home uh where you been so far (laughs) this season you're always out and about you're you're everywhere man
0: yeah it's been fun you know i've been making the rounds on the amateur side a little bit uh starting to prepare obviously for the big draft next year so you know plymouth and uh some college hockey and the Big Ten and obviously some uh, Quebec League and Ontario League. I'm, I'm waiting on the West. I'm going to head out there. And then uh, to start the season, yep. it was fun to get uh, some of the uh, the pro camps out of the way and some of the rookie tournaments. And, uh, um, you know, I just heard you on the intro there talking about last night's game, which was crazy in Vancouver. Um, yeah. The Slapkowski Slopko- hit behind the, the net. I just want to bring it up to you real quick. It, it's interesting because sure. in Buffalo at the work. At the, yeah, at the rookie uh, games in in Buffalo, one of my observations was on the smaller ice. Despite his stature, that that is going to have to be a little bit more aware of his surroundings. And I think you agree. There's nothing the matter with that hit. Clean body check, right behind the net. No. Big man on big man. And uh, 100%. welcome yeah. to the NHL, pal.
1: Well, you know that's you know the interesting thing about it too. Like I, I know we're so quick to react whenever we see a big hit. You know, just do the instant audit on Twitter and it's like oh bad hit got to get that out of the game uh, first of all hitting's really hard especially right now uh, we've seen some pretty violent collisions we think of you know Jacob Truba and uh, Andreas Athanasiu. Um, yep. Matt Nieto got caught by Rasmus Dalin you mentioned Luke Shen last night with Yuri Slavkovsky you know there's um, there really is and you can speak with a lot more authority than I can cuz you're right down there in the trenches with all these people There is a feeling right now that one of the things that can help distinguish a prospect is physicality. And maybe we see it most obvious with Arbor Jacki coming into the NHL and the impact that he's already made and the influence that he's had uh, with the Montreal Canadiens. For the longest time, there was so much of a premium on skill and speed and technique and all that, toughness kind of got left behind but does it not feel to you like the one thing that, you know, scouts are really more aggressively looking for are aggressive players? Because they they're, they're, they're once upon a time every team had like four or five of these guys. Now they're a unicorn; they they barely exist at all. I would imagine if I'm scouting or if I'm you know you know uh, filling you know one of your previous roles as director of amateur scouting, I'm saying to my staff, find me someone with edge, find me someone with bite because nobody plays like this anymore, and we need it.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I think you bring up a fascinating point. And here's here's where I... Like, I've been around it for 20 years at the NHL level. So if you think back even 20 years ago and how the game has changed over the last 20 years, obviously, we've always appreciated the skill. Think back to those great Detroit Red Wing teams with the Datsukes and the Lidstroms and the Irons. Like, we appreciated the skill, right? But what people don't realize or we, we kind of got away from was there was a lot of heavy skill players and there was a lot more heavy players on the back end, the Chris Prongers, the Scott Stevens, guys that would take away. You're not going to go through the neutral zone with or without the puck um, and not be aware of those two guys on the ice if you get my drift. So, I mean, it's it's got to the point for me. I think you bring up a great point. Arbor is, is is he's supposed to trial for it right now. Um, I have to give shout out to uh, and, and you've seen this guy on the tour Jeff Paul who worked for me in Florida when Arbor was in uh, Kitchener at that time yeah. we had him on our draft list and obviously you know things change and the new staff went in and, and they didn't draft him but we had him we yeah. had him slotted right in the fourth round to select them for all the reasons you just said right there big strong mobile keeps the other team honest um, enough skill actually I mean I have no issues with his skill I think most of us would agree with that. But he keeps the opponents on their toes, right? And um, the game has, you know, we go in ebbs and flows. It's like when a team wins a Stanley Cup, everybody thinks that, that the next year that you've got to build your team exactly the way that team won the Stanley Cup. And um, the way rosters got built, fast and skilled, um, it's been an important thing to point out to, uh, to start to bring in some of these heavy hitters because hitting's part of the game.
1: Yeah, you know, and, and it's interesting too because you look at the last few Stanley the last two specifically, Colorado and Tampa, as much as we focus on the skill and listen, like you look at Colorado and Tampa and they're loaded with skill. The thing about these players though, Books, like you look at those playoff series for both of them, and then you look at the final. You know, Elliot always uses the phrase, no passengers, and it's true. It doesn't matter who you were, how big you were, how small you were. Like, there's an element of physicality and toughness with just about everybody on both of those rosters. So, like, when we're talking about toughness, I don't think it's necessarily someone that's, you know, can, you know, come in and, and pound your head in. I think those days are gone. But just being able to play that way and play that way for four rounds and still have it, you know, by the time the Stanley Cup rolls around, like playing, like you mentioned, like heavy, hard hockey those are the teams that end up winning the Stanley Cup certainly the skill has to be there but the thing that will differentiate you I think is my ultimate point here if skill washes and both teams are loaded with skill like we saw with Tampa and Colorado health is always an issue certainly injuries but I just wonder about you know that extra intangible of you know being able to play tough and not to quit and to not get intimidated that, that to me is, it seems as if there's more of a value being placed on that now around the league that wasn't even, you know, five, ten years ago.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree with that observation. And, and these players are coming from all different walks, right? Like they're coming out of college, they're coming out of junior, yeah. some are coming from Europe. Um, but, you know, those types of players, Jeff, in season... Um, you can ride your skill in season and probably get some positive results when you're a highly skilled, quick, fast team, a possession team, all these fancy things. Yeah. But really, really, come April and May, and then hopefully into June, um, that's when we start talking way more about the the Pat Maroons of the world, don't we? And uh, and you know, um, McDermott in, in in Colorado all of a sudden, like you, all of a sudden these guys that you never hear much about through the course of the season they get a lot of more noise at the hardest time of the year. So teams uh, position them accordingly in their lineup in season because the value is going to be there at the end of the year.
1: Do you have a theory, and I want to get to some of your pieces here, which I find fascinating, in, including one about, you know, the future of European coaches in the NHL. But the one overriding theme that we've seen this year around the league, well, there's, there's a couple. Um, one, lead changes, and two, comebacks. Like, once upon a time, Books, you knew, man, going into the third period against half a dozen teams, if they had a lead, the game was over because they knew how to sit on it and trap it and freeze it, and you didn't have to watch the third period. It was a given. And, you know, I'll look at that Vancouver uh, game last night against Montreal. Look at the Boston game against Vegas last night. Look at the four lead changes in St. Louis and the Rangers last night as well. For whatever reason, and, you know, I've got my own theories. Elliot has his own theories. I'm sure you do as well. You know, the theme of this season is lead changes and comebacks in the third period. Do you have an idea of why? I mean, it seems like we've been trending this direction for a while. But do you have an idea of why we're starting to really see this consistently in the NHL? I mean, it's a great thing. Fans love it. you got to stick around for all three periods because, you know, no lead is sacred. Do you have a theory, maybe, or a thought on on why we're at this point right now in the league?
0: Well, I think one thing we have to consider is that certainly the philosophy of the coaches behind the bench has changed over the years. And yes, we yep. we off about um, you know we want to be do a better job of protecting a lead, but. Protecting a lead in 2022 is different than when uh, Jacques Lemaire was behind the bench in New Jersey back in the day. It's totally different. So um, they don't seem to want to pull back on the players in season as much as they used to. So I think that that's one thing we have to observe. I think coaches are more creative now, and they really get caught up in that uh, tornado that is creativity. Um, And then beyond that, I think also – it's a track meet, Jeff, eh? Like, the game is so fast. And yeah. so anybody, like yourself, like I, I know that you're into fitness, so you know you reach that threshold where it's like you're on the back end of, of exhaustion. You can only give so much yep. to a certain point. And, yeah, you're still going, but mentally and physically, you're going to make more mistakes as you start to fatigue. Yep. And um, I think that that's part of it, too. The game is so fast and it's so detailed that things are happening people who go to a game and watch it up top um, you know the old maple leaf gardens because I'm old enough if I was up in the greys and and, and if I'm down (laughs) in the Golds, if I'm down in the golds I mean it's two different the speed of the game today is is fascinating and um, I think we have to we have to factor that in so um, the one thing too the other thing I want to go to is is the goaltending to me like it just seems so unpredictable like you know, Shuster you know, yes. he he's all world, yes. and then all of a sudden he's not, and he doesn't think he can make a save, you know? And then uh, Markstrom in, in Calgary, you know, I'm playing the worst hockey of my life. I just find, like, there's so many more ebbs and flows in the uh, in the goaltending world right now as well.
1: Yeah, Thatcher Demko uh, as well. Like, you're oh. like, some of the top goalies we're talking about. And what are we talking about this year? We're talking about Ilya Sorokin. We're talking about Linus Olimar. Like, all of a sudden, there's, like, a whole bunch of new you know it's the 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 new hotness in the crease anyhow um so a couple of things you've written about recently uh are have been really fascinating at sportsnet.ca and one of them you know i've kind of been you know um i don't want to say banging a drum about but i always sort of raise it as a point um much like you have as well and that is the idea of european coaches in the nhl Um, As we've seen, you know, going back to, you know, Vaslav Natomansky coming over to North America to play in the WHA with the Toronto Toros in 1972 or 73, you know, we haven't seen a a real significant wave of coaches coming as well. There have been some, but I'm talking about, you know, to the level of, you know, and sympathetic with the number of players that have uh, come over. Do you think the NHL is at a point now? And if so, who are some of the names that we should look for Is the league at a point now where it's ready to significantly open the door to European coaches?
0: Significantly, I would probably say that's, uh, you know, we'll take pause on that. But I I do believe that there's enough. Well, if you look in Vancouver, for example, in their management group, um, you know, they have deep European roots. So, you know some really good relationships with people in Europe I think that also you know you look at Columbus with Yarmo there I'm a little bit surprised actually yep. when I say that just now that Yarmo because um, he's kind of he's an outside the box kind of thinker I'm kind of surprised Columbus hasn't yep. gone down that route so far um, I don't know if it's going to be that significant um, it's obviously has to be earned and the pedigree has to be there but the reason I wrote it was uh, the piece was because all these years I'm going over there and you know. Scouts come out of games and will say this about a player and that about a player. And then, but, you know, when you go to dinner after, you also say sometimes, geez, that's a really well-coached team. Like, wow, they, they really got it going on there, you know, and, mm-hmm. and they're developing players, or you, you know you can trust that coach to, to develop your player, for example, if you drafted them. So, you know, um, like I've been fascinated by Chris and Cam Abbott um, and their um, road to where they are right now in Rogla in Sweden, partly because I coached. Yeah. Uh, in the Western Junior B League against these two kids before they went off to college. So I've watched their growth as humans for like a long period of time. And when they got to the um the team, you know, the, the program was in flux, I guess. It was just okay. And now, if you start taking a look at what they're doing there, not only are they having success, uh, you know, in terms of wins and losses year over year, but, you know, Marco Casper, who, remember, you you loved him at the combine. Oh, yeah. Marco Casper oh, was a Yeah.
1: Yeah what a great interview, right?
0: Um, rides his bike to school. Still, he's playing pro hockey. I mean, imagine, but,
1: um, suit suit and boat suit and bow tie books. Like, come on. And he's a good, hardy physical player. Like Detroit got a good one, man. Detroit got a good one.
0: They have a guy that's going to be like a Zetterberg for them. there. like, uh, his stats in robo this year. He's uh, like three quarters of a point a game, 37 pims. He's like a plus 10. Like he's an all around guy. But anyways, where I was going with the coaching is, um, you know, you come out of those games at uh, Robla and you say to yourself, okay, well, look how they're, the detail they play with. But also, if you watch, if I'm in Europe and I'm on a trip and I catch them two or three times and I see a different opponent every time, you can actually see in-game adjustments. And I talked to Cam about that, the coach, and I said, like, what's your what's your thought on that? And he's cutting edge, uh, Jeff. I thought it was great. He's, he's like, I don't know. Like, if I propose a game plan and I think this is going to work um, and it's not working, I'm not bigger than the room, I'll go in and I'll say, that didn't work, that's on me, we have to go back to doing this. And you see the results with his teams and the structure and how they trust them over there, I think it's fantastic. Now those yeah. are two Canadian kids, but an ex-NHL player like Oli Jokinen, who goes back. Um, hmm. So o- Oli interviewed in North America for a few different assistant coaching jobs, didn't get them. Uh, he goes back. Uh, so, Yukarut is, it's like two hours north of Helsinki, um, you know, and so that's pretty north when you get to Finland. But uh, uh, yes. he, the Liga, Liga as a whole, um, it's kind of a, it's a real um, reserve type of a league. Like, off the puck, they trap a lot. They don't want to, it's almost like a soccer match. It's more calculating than that league. Um, what right. you, all he's done is he's gone over and he said, we're not going to play like that. We're going to bring the North American game to Europe. We're going to play on straight lines. We're going to play uh, fast skilled, uh, puck pursuit when we don't have it, right. puck possession when we do. And so what does he do? He, <laughs> a low budget team. They end up first place last year. He wins coach of the year. Yeah. I think, I think guys like this, Jeff, are going to start to get more uh, recognition, uh, over here.
1: You know, I was—I uh, want to circle back because, and that, first of all, that's interesting about Ole Jokinen, and you know, you mentioned Columbus as well with Yarmo, and you always wonder if there's any association there. But um, you know, the Abbots are interesting because I'll give you—I don't think I've ever talked about this on the air. One of the places, so when San Jose was looking to fill their management position, ended up going to to Mike career, of course, as we all know. Um, but Elliot and I were told that there was someone from Europe that was getting some consideration for that spot, and someone told me to look down the Abbotts Road as well. Oh. And so I went down that, and that that ended up being a dead end. Books, I think the, I think I'm trying to remember. I, I'm pretty sure. The person that they were talking about is funny because I thought maybe uh, Leon it was Leon Dreisaitl's dad because of the German association with the uh, the San Jose Shark's owner. But I think right. it was Johann Garpenloff. I think it was Garpenloff oh. who they ended up, former San Jose Shark, right? And so which would have would have made some sense. Anyway, they they ended up going with uh, with Mike Greer but i i did a little digging and and like and listen you know them a lot better than i do i did a little digging on the abbots like can you spend a little more time on them cuz that is a i mean they're twins that is a really fascinating hockey story and one of the things that someone told me over there is you know eventually they are going to significantly make their mark in hockey
0: yeah i so first of all the Abbott brothers, when they came, when they were growing up and I know like, like your kids are going through that minor hockey thing right now, uh, when they were yep. coming through, they were, they're not big people, right? They were undersized uh, skilled mm-hmm. guys. Um, so when they were coming through, they, they had that up against them a little bit. Um, the, the two of them played in um, Sarnia in, in the Western junior B league before they went off to a school. And They've always had that kind of, uh, they've been the underdog a little bit. After, after junior hockey, they became the underdog. It was like they had to work harder than everybody else. Their skill would have to come to the the, the you know the top, but they had to be ahead of the curve, I guess is the best way to put it, to have success at every stop. Um, so when North American hockey didn't work out, they went to Europe. Um, they played uh, a little bit on the, in the second level, like the Alspenskin, a uh, cup of coffee at Rogla uh, at the SHL level. Um, but when they got the call to become GM and coach mid season, I think this is like two thousand and fifteen, they had no experience coaching in the SHL or managing the SHL. So if you're running a pro a pro franchise, um and you're seeing somebody running a J twenty program over there or, you know, whatever it is yeah. that you're gonna pluck them out of, like you gotta put bodies in the seats, right? Like it's still a gate driven industry yeah. <laughs> and you better you better be making the right decisions. Uh Somebody took a risk on them. I don't know who that is, but they clearly left the mark. And the rest is history. I'm telling you, like, they, it's a, it's you, our our listeners, and even yourself will be fascinated to have a talk with them. And they talk about the program at Robla being like a family and the trickle down effect, right down to like the J 16 and the J 18s. And, you know, they all pull in the same direction and they all think the same way. And there's no tryouts in the system. It's like, okay, here's where you should start this year if you're good enough at the 17s to get promoted to the 18s or 18s to the 20s, 20s to the men's team, like we're going to yeah. fit you in where you fit. And the whole time, um I'm going to be evolving too. And that's Cam's message. I'm evolving that whole time too. Like what can I do better to get the most out of these players? And um hey, the Detroit Red Wings are plucking guys out of Rigo like right now like they're candy. So I wouldn't be surprised oh, yeah. if uh I wouldn't be surprised to see uh one of those two names uh, the Abbots uh, end up even in Detroit at some point.
1: Yeah, I remember this person told me, like, first of all, look there, and if it's not where you're, where you're, uh, where you need to be right now, eventually it will, because um, these guys are going to make their um, make their way here in, in short order. Um, I want to see if we can park some time talking about Michael Misa, but something you wrote a couple of weeks ago, just sort of having a look at the top ten uh, for the most recent draft in Montreal, led by Yuri Slavkovsky, um, and you know we've uh, we've we've followed you know what's happened with Shane Wright. Uh, and he's back. Looks like he'll be playing against the Montreal Canadiens, and then off to the World of Juniors. I think that Brant Clark will be going. I think they're going to release some other Wednesday or Thursday. Dylan Gunther as well. You already mentioned Marco Casper of the uh, Red Wings. But when you when you look back at the at the top ten from the draft that we most recently saw, who stands out to you? Like, is it a Logan Cooley? Is a Cutter Goche? Who who pops for you from the most recent NHL draft?
0: Well, I, I've always loved Cooley. He ended up being number one on my list at the end of the year last year. Um, he, he's hit the ground running in Minnesota, playing to his identity. I mean, he's well over a point a game, and he's an elusive forward. Um, I'd like to see him uh, recognize people around him a little bit more. Um, you know, when you're a young player, it's okay when you're playing with the 18s, but when you get into college and you know, so you've got some older guys that are 22 years old, for example, they've been around the block a little bit more, and they're like, I'm open, pal. Like, give me that puck, and I can create space for you. So I'd like to see them share it a little bit more at times. But Cooley's dynamic. Um, Arizona's got a great one there. That's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out in Arizona because they've got some guys that are kind of around the same size um, and play the game the same way. So um, Cutter Goche, uh, I know Philly, it's been, you know, Uh, like you and I could probably talk an hour about what's gone on Philly so far this year. Like it's unpredictable. Um, But this kid's a good one, man. Like he is a Philadelphia flyer, heavy, hard uh, scores goals in the, in the hard area. Um, He also beats uh, beats goalies from range. Like he comes off the half wall and he zips pucks under the bar. Um, So not only do you have to respect the fact that he might drive to the paint and he's going to give you all you can handle, but you better get out on him too, because he's going to rip one and it's going to be in your net. So you have to, you have to be aware of that. Um, we talked about Casper. I Here's my, here's the guy I think if uh, on a redraft going forward, that it would have been drafted um, higher. And that's uh, Pavel Mitiakov, who's playing at Saginaw, the defenseman that Anaheim drafted. <laughs> yep. And I, So Saginaw's a better team. Uh, don't get me wrong, but he's got 36 yeah. points already this year. He plays probably 28 minutes a night. His plus minus has gone from a minus 14 last year. He's totally flipped the switch. He's like a plus 15 or 16 this year. His detail's better. His offense hasn't fallen off. Everything about him is better. So that's a kid that I think in a redraft scenario, uh, when you and I have a call in two years, we're going to look back at that name.
1: <laughs> Got in a fight with Ryder McIntyre as well in the game against Oshawa a couple of weeks ago. I think it was Mac, one of McIntyre's first oh, games. Oh, okay. Um, there you go. With the Jennies. Oh, yeah. There you go. was uh, It was after a big hit. Surprise, surprise. Um, let me conclude by talking about you just, met, you just mentioned uh, Saginaw a second ago. And, you know, they're one of the teams that is going to be bidding for the Memorial Cup next season. Um, and they should have a good team. Dave Drinkel is already starting to, to line it up with some deals. Uh, we just saw the Hunter Height deal, and uh, there'll be more on the horizon. Um, it seems as if... It seems as if the the CHL is more determined, and we'll see what happens with Regina with Connor Bedard after World Juniors. We'll see if he ends up in Kamloops or not. Uh, it seems as if they're determined to try to get as many star players in the Memorial Cup as possible. The best way to do that is to have them play uh, with the host team. Uh, if Saginaw gets it that means they'll be able to showcase Michael Misa who got into the OHL under the exceptional status umbrella what should we know about Michael misa this season so far Books
0: mature beyond his years I mean when you talk to him he's 15 years old I have a 15 year old at home here who some days I got to remind him to tie his shoes when he goes out the door this kid this kid's <laughs> living away from this kid's living away from home and uh, taking on all the media and uh, but He's Mitch Marner like for me. Um, so when Marner, but uh, Marner came into the league a year a year later, I get it. Um, but he's he identifies himself like that, and it was funny because when I was in Saginaw watching, I wrote in my notes, this kid reminds me of Marner, and um, he shoots it harder than Mitch did at the same time. But as you know, Mitch was more calculating. Like Mitch could shoot at seventy percent of uh, of a hundred compared to another guy, but it was so accurate to like he's so crafty that it would go in the net yeah. anyways. Um, Misa shoots it harder uh, transports it with skill between the blue lines exactly the same Um, and he's actually pretty responsible on on the back end like he plays a 200 foot game so dynamic offensive forward they were right to give this kid exceptional status but more importantly um, what a fantastic human being like I spent a half an hour with him talking and I mean just down to earth uh, really nice Uh, people are going to get to know him more in the next couple of years and you're really going to enjoy him
1: he uh he looks great. You have a thought on uh, on this year's crop we keep hearing about, you know, the the top end. Now someone like Leo Leo Carlson has uh, has jumped in there and is amongst the, you know, uh, the Conor Bedards and the Adam Fantilles. You have a thought on this year's crop books? You've seen a lot of these you've seen a lot of draft classes in your day.
0: Yeah, Leo is the biggest riser for me, so I think that that's a name we're all going to be keeping a close eye on uh, uh, from now all the way to the end of the year. It's still Bedard's draft, Jeff. He's earned it, and he's, he doesn't look like he's going to let it go. Uh, Fantelli's fallen off just a little bit, but he was off to a ridiculous start. Nobody can maintain that. Uh, but this Leo Carlson, yep. big, strong, um, so that's a name to keep an eye on. I think that he's going to be in a lot of draft war rooms talks for number one consideration don't don't everybody get all crazy about when i say that but trust me there's going to be some people oh. that that have that discussion
1: i talked to someone from one nhl team on saturday that just said the exact same thing that you did who said you know i still think that Connor bedard is going to go number one but we're talking about carlson as if he can that that kid is that good like i don't think that that's outrageous at all like i still think Badard goes i'm with you books i think bedard still goes one Regardless, because you look at the, the track record, but again, it was only one person from one team that I spoke to. Uh, but he said, We're having that exact same conversation. Can Leo Carlson go first overall? That's how good this kid is.
0: I know you're short on time, but I, I just want to let you know that it, it brings me back to the McKinnon and Barkoff draft in New Jersey when we selected Barkoff two, we had Barkoff one. Yep. And so that's that's my comparable in terms of traction going forward for Leo Carlson.
1: You had uh, so Florida had Barca. Who was who was the European scout at that point?
0: Oh, Yari Kekalainen. He's in Winnipeg now. Um, they're That's lucky to get right. him. He just yeah, yeah. yeah. Yarmo. Well, the Kekalainens—they're like a cult, right? The three of them in the NHL—they all do a great <laughs> job. Um, but Yari's in Winnipeg now. He just the uh, first year in Winnipeg on Mark Hillier's staff, and uh, they're lucky to have him. He's 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 great. He's great. I
1: love- I love those stories. All right, Books, great stuff as always. Uh, great work at Sportsnet.ca, and uh, uh, happy travels. I'm guessing you're going to go to uh, Memorial Cup when it rolls around in Halifax and Moncton?
0: Um, yeah, I'm on my way out to the World Juniors, and uh, i got a lot going on here uh, after that. Uh, in the new year, it gets really hectic, so I love it, man. I'm looking forward to it, and uh, I appreciate you having me on today. It's been
1: fun. Uh it's a pleasure. There he is, the great Jason Bukula, uh, who works with us at Sportsnet, and you know, Books is Books is one of those guys. a you know, former Panthers director of amateur scouting. He has. It, it's always interesting. Every year we go to uh, the combine, and all of us that are involved in the broadcast, and we just get to spend a couple of days with the kids, and so we end up. Which room would it be? It would be the Canisius College room, um, where that hockey team plays, and we all set up, and the players just come wheeling through one after the other. Um, and we get our chance to ask him questions, get a little background, stuff that we can we can share with the broadcast. And sitting there when, when Books is in the room, because Books is closest obviously to the NHL, so he's interviewing them as if He's a manager or on staff or a director of, of amateur scouting as he used to be with the Florida Panthers and just the nature of questioning. A lot of it is confrontational because you're looking for the reaction. Um, but a lot of us are, and Berkey was like this when Berkey was with us too. Those conversations were fascinating. Uh, it's, one of the, it's one of the perks of the gig that you get to hear young prospects interviewed as if they're interviewed by someone who's working with an nhl team which i assure you uh, is quite different than being interviewed by a broadcaster uh we'll take a break uh thomas Trance joins me in a couple of moments here from the athletic and co-host of canucks talk on sportsnet 650 we're back in a couple of moments talking about what we saw yesterday we're still wondering what was that the Vancouver Canucks and the Montreal Canadiens that conversation in moments as the Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet radio network, simulcast on Sportsnet Now and Sportsnet 360. Back in a moment.
0: Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Aylish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: Welcome back to the program. Glad to have you aboard today as I just finish up some typing there. Oh, hi there. Welcome back to the program. Uh, What we saw last night in Vancouver was A, a lot of fun, um, B, meaningful, C, meaningless. I have no idea what any of it meant. All I know is it was a good time. Because I don't have a hand on the wheel And I don't have a dog in the fight Uh, Thomas Drance covers the Vancouver Canucks A lot closer than I do And he's a lot closer to it than I am So let's bring him in To try to explain what that was Uh, Drancer, how are you today?
3: I'm doing well And you know, I don't really have a good grasp On exactly what that means In the wider context either (laughs) You know, um, (laughs) have you seen that movie That came out this year The uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once film?
1: No, I have not
3: Uh, Well well worth watching, but at the center of it is an everything bagel that, like, uh, contains multitudes. The entire universe, effectively, uh, contained within this everything bagel. (laughs) And I I was thinking that this game is really that, right? I I mean, this is everything. This is the way the league is trending, right? This is the the new high offense, low save percentage NHL in a nutshell. Uh, it, It is a distillation of Bruce Boudreau, like it was Bruce Boudreau's 83rd game as Vancouver Canucks head coach. And the game honestly felt like a a 60-minute microcosm of the Canucks season last year, where everything goes terribly and then Mm -hmm. everything goes right in the second half. It's a reflection of a team that has the firepower to get back in anything, right? And to hit these high levels of form, but also, you know, lacks the baseline to protect itself from surrendering four goals in five minutes against the Montreal Canadiens. It it was, you know, um, a a sign of a fragile team that's also resilient, right? An an electric team that's also deeply flawed. A team that's not good enough and and probably not bad enough either. And there were some poppy seeds, some salt. And some dried garlic thrown on there too. It was an everything bagel of a hockey game.
1: (laughs) Well, first of all, as a fan of everything bagels, I I must watch this movie. Um, But second (laughs) of all, yeah, I think you're bang on. Like I, I I look at that one, and once upon a time, you know, a game is four nothing after 20 minutes, and you kind of go, okay, I'm going to check out. Let's see, uh, let's see what's happening in the Kings game. I'm going to pay more attention there. Or hey, let's dip in on Seattle. Or you know what's happening with uh, with the San Jose Sharks. That thing was wild. And it underscores something you just mentioned there as well. As you know, in this NHL, this season specifically, the story is comebacks and the story is lead changes. We saw four of them in the Rangers St. Louis. We saw, you know, Boston and Vegas yesterday. And, you know, the cherry on top of all of this was this, you know, delicious. You know, albeit I'm sure frustrating game for for both coaches. Although Marty Louis really did downplay it and said, you know, essentially, you know, oh, this is a process. We'll fix this. This is part of our development here for all these kids. You know, this was this was a game that you know it felt like the stakes were really high for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, Not so much the Montreal Canadiens because we all know the direction that they're going in. And I think the weird thing about this Vancouver game was, you know, even if the score was flipped and Montreal would have won this thing, um, you would have looked at it and said, okay, this is just another step along this direction that Montreal has chosen. I still get the sense from the Vancouver Canucks, and you're right there, and this may be an obvious point, I don't know how to read this because I don't know what the direction is for this team. Right. To your point, there are a lot of wonderfully skilled players on this team, man. Pedersen is playing some of the best hockey we've seen all of a sudden. Incredible. Shen is one of the most valuable defender. One of the most valuable defenders in the NHL who might be available. Um, You know, um, Bo Horvat is on this, you know, we've talked about this countless times on this (laughs) this heater of a a contract season here. So ultimately, I don't know what it means because I don't know what Vancouver is trying to do. Part of me says, you know what, there might be enough there there to get into the playoffs. And then another part of me, you know, the analogy that I used in the first hour was... It's ultimately maybe meaningless because it just seemed like this is the equivalent of winding your wristwatch on the way to the electric chair. I don't know how to see this. I
3: mean, look, I'm fading this team as a playoff team. I think that we're going to see this team hit extraordinary high highs because of the high end skill on the roster. And I also think when the bottom falls out on it, as it inevitably does, I don't think they have the fortitude that like structural core that's going to permit them to over a 10 game stretch where, you know, the goaltending is not good and the injuries pile up and their The schedule lines up so that they're tired more games than not, you know, eke out the the five points that keep you alive as opposed to the two points that kill you. Right. I I mean, you know, you look at a team like what, what the Toronto Maple Leafs have done over the course of the past six weeks. Right. And it's like, both goalies get hurt, right? Shalgren starting like is Petruzzi going to start on hockey night in Canada? How many defensemen do they have left? Right? Like all of this stuff, Austin Matthews, isn't scoring goals, right? Like all of this stuff can go wrong, but their ability to control play is good enough that they still win games. Right. And eventually get on a tear. And then once the, once they're running downhill, you know they don't they don't lose in regulation for 17 or something outrageous, right? Uh, that's what Carolina can do. That's what Boston can do. Um, you know the teams that control play are, you know, supported. They they have something to fall back on when the fickle whims of the hockey gods turn. And I view this Canucks team as lacking that almost entirely. They they just don't have that ability to control games. And when you don't have that. You know, you're really dependent on, you know, how well your top guns are firing, how dominant your goaltending is. And for Vancouver, you know, Vancouver has a goaltender capable of taking over months worth of games at a time. They have the finishing talent and the power play to blow teams out of their own rink some nights. And we're going to see all of that happen. And we're yeah. going to see stretches like we saw, you know, from them on the road last week, a uh, couple of weeks ago, where they, you know, trounce Colorado and Vegas and, and San Jose and come back, you know, three and oh, but we're going to see these low lows uh, as well. The, these stretches where things fall apart on them. Uh, like we saw this week in Vancouver, when they lost 10 on aggregate to the Florida Panthers and the Washington Capitals and So, you know, I think we're we're going to see high highs. We're going to see low lows. And at the end of the season, we're going to see something between 85 and 93 points and probably them missing the playoffs. And, you know, the contrast with Montreal is sharp because, you know, this was a game ultimately, that while it felt like uh, an example of where the product is, and it's in a great place, right? right? If the NHL is getting in a place where you turn on a three nothing game in the first period and think, hey, this isn't over, that's great. That's over. great for the sport, but, yep. <clears throat> excuse me. but, you know, also this was a game between two teams that, you know, play defense optional hockey. And for Montreal, that's one thing. It's part of the process of learning how to play St. Louis system and ultimately win games as St. As Louis said. And, you know, he, he illustrated that those were different concepts, but for a team that's, you know, if not all in, then certainly has ambitions to do more, you know, it's probably not a good luck that you're in the company of a team yeah. like the Montreal Canadiens, who, of course, remain ahead of Vancouver in point percentage.
1: So, much like the um the ears went up in Calgary when Elliot dropped that report about Brock Besser, and maybe the ears went up in like yeah. New Jersey and maybe Los Angeles. I mean essentially <laughs> if you 're a team that needs help on the power play, your ears perked up uh, when you heard Elliot 's report about Brock Besser. How much did ears perk up around Vancouver, and I would imagine Chicago as well as an aside, but specifically for this conversation, how much did ears perk up in Vancouver? when the news of what the situation with Nathan McKinnon and the avalanche was, they're already looking for one center. uh, And now they've got the number one top dog out as well. How much did that get on the Vancouver radar? Like instantly Drancer.
3: I would imagine a fair bit, you know, uh, unavoidably a fair bit. Um, Horvat should be the top, you know, aside from Patrick Kane, right. Who's a different beast entirely. And I know, Corvette's more likely to get lumped in with the likes of Caves and Ryan O'Reilly because he's a centerman. But 20 goals, 58% face-off clip. I mean, this is the sort of mid-season trade chip that we just don't really see move. I mean, you, you go back yeah. and think about the centerman we've seen dealt uh, at deadlines past, you know, since 2017. We're talking about, like, the Martin Hansel, Kevin Hayes. Paul Stasny, yeah. you know Matt Duchesne was sort of a winger at that point in his career. Certainly wasn't the uh, guy with the defensive chops yeah. that Horvat has, or the face-off winning acumen. Um, I guess uh, mm-hmm. J.P. Pajot, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, there's no player in the in the caliber of a Bo Horvat there, right? I, I don't think that's controversial, mm-hmm. is it? So you sort of, mm-hmm. you know, I think Horvat should be, again, with the exception of Kane, because he's just such a clutch goal scorer, right? Like such a difference maker for a team yeah. in need of goals. I, I think he's gotta be the top uh forward trade chip with apologies to a guy who has a full N M C might not want to move and completely controls his own destination, right? So um yeah, the, I mean the, the, the <laughs>
1: only the, the only thing that I'll throw in the only thing that I'll throw in on Kane here is that I, I think he I think Kane waits to the last possible moment. To determine right. which team's going to give him the best chance. Like, if you would have said at the beginning of the season, okay, Pat Kane wants to go, okay, Pat Kane goes to the Rangers, all of a sudden, you know, he finds himself on a Rangers team that's struggling. You know, they had to, mm. that that's struggling even just get in the playoff picture. Whereas, I think with Vancouver, and we've seen this with Rutherford before, he doesn't like to make his moves at deadline. Uh, he likes to no, he proactive. So yeah, so I don't I don't know that I'd be willing to look at Bohorovat and say this is going to be a trade deadline decision, either sign or trade, uh, and I I I'm very much in the camp that this is drifting away from signing more and more uh, as the days pass, and I look at Colorado right now and I'd have to think that you know even though here we are December the sixth, um, I wouldn't put it past Vancouver to be, listen, saying, if we can't get Horvat done, maybe the time is right now that we do a deal. Yeah, I, I think, so
3: it was really about late last week that it felt like the change, felt like there was a change in tone around, you know, Horvat's Canucks' future. Uh, I sort of previously had the sense that things were inactive but hopeful, <laughs> which is to say holding pattern. Uh, and then sort of late last week, it started to feel to me like there was a growing sense of resignation on both sides that, you know, this probably is going to be too hard. Um, you know, which which is not to say it's not going to happen, just that that was the prevailing sense I began to get out of contract talks for the first time uh, around, you know, uh, Bo Horvat in Vancouver. So, uh, I mean, I think, I think that the Canucks sort of have long viewed early February is sort of a moment to, to really make that decision. But I do think that if a team came correct with the sort of offer that the Canucks would want, uh, that would really interest them, you know, and I think that would center on young players being prioritized ahead of draft pick capital, Oh yeah, which is, which is, which is I tough know, to do yeah. if you're a contending team, right? I mean, who wants, what do contending teams value more than cost controlled, uh, useful labor? Nothing. So it's, a, yeah. it's, a tough, it's tough for a team to pay up any up in a way that would cause the Canucks to take a proactive stance, particularly given that they're only two points behind Colorado at the moment. But I do think it's possible mm. if a team really comes with the asset price. By the way, I listed all those centermen who had moved at the deadline um, in, in years past, and I just want to note one thing here. They all have one thing in common, Jeff. All of them went for a first plus plus. Right, So a first and two yeah. additional assets, usually draft picks, um, sometimes as much as a first and a conditional first in the case of Matt Duchesne. So uh, clearly, clearly the price would be high. Now what does it look like if Vancouver really is prioritizing young players, ideally young centermen and young defenders? I mean, it's it's tough yeah. to know, but, it, but from a draft pick uh, value perspective, I mean, this cost would be high, and I think the cost of making the Canucks – Make the move now would be even higher. You'd pay a premium, I think, to get them to move fast.
1: Yeah, you know what, and it's it's interesting too because if it ends up being Colorado, um, there is one young centerman with a bright future and one very young defenseman who I believe uh, is very familiar with British Columbia, um, who is on the <laughs> roster as well. Oh, if
3: if you very, say his name, we're getting ahead aggregated ahead. for sure, Jeff.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna put it out there, just gonna whisper it and let it let it you know hover through the fog. Um, so we don't, uh, so we don't trend wow. today.
3: Okay. Um, look, I, I, I would one, would one, that cause what, ears to perk up in the halls of power off Griffith's way? Uh, oh
1: yeah. And yeah. <laughs> you yeah, bet. Of course. Of course. Let me, uh, let me, let me finish by this one. I've, um, I feel real, maybe just cause I'm getting old and soft. I don't know. Drancer, but I feel real bad for <laughs> Bruce Boudreau. I feel like this is yeah. like, I, I just imagine a guy, you know, day to day, just trying to grab another piece of rope. Uh, to hold himself up here, um, and I, I can't imagine what coaching in this situation must be like. Um, you know, he's not hearing the interviews on a almost you know daily or, or weekly basis, where he's reminded that uh, that his management um, that his management group isn't exactly fond of how he coaches. How are fans in Vancouver treating? Like what, what's the the mood around Boudreau? Because to me, right now, it's everybody loves an underdog. Everyone cheers an underdog. Boudreaux's such a absolutely lovable guy. He's in a real tough situation. I think we've all been in situations where we know our boss isn't necessarily fond of us anymore, or maybe oh, he yeah. never was to begin with. How um, <laughs> how's the market? How's the market treating Bruce Boudreau? Do you think?
3: yeah Budro's B- still got a lot of equity he's got that's how I describe it he's got equity with this fan base. this fan base believes yeah. that he's a likable guy. I think they believe that he's a good person. I think they want to see him succeed, yeah. and you know he he's resonated in in a really unique way with the fans in this market, and I think that's given him a fair bit of Leeway, even as there's been growing frustration about the usage of young players. Obviously, the team's performance, um you know, and and I I, I really do think it turned a little bit over the course of this past weekend when Brock Besser, uh, the Brock Besser story. I think you, you started to hear some some people really sort of grappling with that. Uh, quite upset. The fans are still very attached to Brock Besser, even though. You know his value might not reflect it at the moment. He was still sort of the light at the end of the tunnel of the the failed rebuild. Um, you know he was the first big young prospect to come out of it um, in in the years where the Canucks yeah. were playing. You know Jason Magna on the on the top line. So um, there's still a lot of yeah. there's a lot of emotional attachment to Besser and the way that that went down this weekend I think was tough. I think that was a tough look for Bruce in particular, but I still think there's a lot of support for Bruce. Fans want to see this team succeed under him. They believe in his pressure game. They believe in in his up-tempo system. They see the historic success. They see how young players have responded, in particular Elias Pettersson since he took over. So, you know, I I still think he's always... I don't think is going to be buying himself any drinks in the future in Vancouver, Um, put it that way. And (laughs) and I think that'll be true regardless of how this plays out. He's going to be fondly remembered by the fans here. But, yeah, it's a a tricky situation. And I don't think the... You know, I I do think it's a precarious one for him a, a little bit as we go forward here, particularly given that I don't know that you can count on this team having elite goaltending anymore. And, you know, if guys like Pod Colson end up having a really strong second half of the year, potentially after he's left, you know, you could start to see that sort of Monday morning quarterback thing uh, about some of the decisions he's made and some of the players that he's decided to play and how he's decided to utilize this roster.
1: Always excellent analysis. transfer uh, thanks as always, pal. You be good. I'll, uh, we'll we'll yeah. check back soon, pal.
3: I will. My pleasure. And hey, watch that film. It's a great one.
1: Cheers. Uh, anything to do with everything bagels, I am all over it. Uh, the great Thomas Strands dropping by here from The Athletic and uh, sport and Sport Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650. A big thanks to him for stopping by. Um, a big thanks to Jason Bucala as well for stopping by, former Panthers director of amateur scouting. Glad to have him aboard here at, uh, at Sportsnet. A big thank you to Ken Weave. Don't forget the return of Paul Maurice tonight in Winnipeg as the Jets face off against the Florida Panthers and Elliot Friedman kicked it off as always. And uh, don't forget tonight... On the network, some big games. 7 o'clock Eastern, the Wings and the Bolts on East, West, and Pacific. Sports in Ontario, the Toronto Maple Leafs facing off against the Dallas Stars. Marner against Robertson. Point streaks on the line. That one pregame gets underway at 8 o'clock Eastern. Puck drops just after 8.30. Back tomorrow.